Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know who I am, who maybe haven't met me before, my name is Trevor. I'm the new uh, assistant minister here in First Port of Dawn, and it's my great pleasure uh, to bring you God's Word this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please have it open at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to see what God says to us together this morning through His Word. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to think about these verses that Gilly read for us from 1 to 20. Mark chapter 4 and verses 1 through 20. We all remember that beautiful sunflower field that the Gilpins laid on for the congregation in the middle of August. In some respects, it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, of course? Uh, but the video is still on Facebook. If you want to watch it, you can go and watch the video of it all coming together, of the, the land being plowed, of the seed being planted, and the sunflowers growing. The thing that struck me as you watched the video was the kind of sheer scale of the project. When you were in the middle of the field, I don't think you could really understand what a big project that it was. When you saw the drone footage, you saw just what a big project it was. I, I was talking to uh, Richard during the week, and he told me that it took over 170,000 seeds to grow the sunflowers that we saw. I'm not sure what the, the yield on that would be. Uh, maybe if you ask Kenneth afterwards, he might be able to tell you. But what did they do? When the Gilpins were planting that sunflower field, they took care with what they were doing. They didn't just scatter it everywhere and hope for the best, hope that something turned out of it. It was done methodically, with care. The land was cultivated, the land was made ready, the seeds were planted, and the flowers grew. In the Bible reading that Gilly read for us this morning, we're going to think about this parable that Jesus told. In this parable, there's a farmer who sows some seed, but he does it liberally, doesn't it? Some ground was cultivated, some ground was ready to receive the seed that was sown, and others wasn't. He didn't plant them in neat 12-centimeter rows as the Gilpins did. He threw what he had wherever he was, and where it landed, it landed. Yet notice some of it produced a crop, even up to a hundred times that which was sown. We're going to think about three things this morning, see three things together this morning. Firstly, we want to think about a profligate farmer, a profligate farmer. Secondly, we're going to see unfruitful soils. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see a fruitful harvest, a fruitful harvest. So firstly then, a profligate farmer, and that's in verses 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9. The first thing that I want us to notice here as we come to Mark chapter 4 is that a large crowd gathers about Jesus. We see that in verse 1. And again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Jesus was the original celebrity, if you like. Jesus was the original Instagram influencer of his day. When he spoke, everyone listened. Whenever he talked, everyone listened. But why? Was it because he went around telling people lots of nice stories that they could relate to, as we're going to see here? Was it because he was a good man who went around doing good to all people, healing anyone who came to him? I don't think so. As we read the Gospels, they tell us that Jesus spoke with power and authority. The people were amazed at him because he taught them, not as their scribes, but with power and authority. Jesus brought people the Word of God, and he spoke it with utter certainty and conviction. As you came to the, the, the temple, what the scribes would offer you would be the opinions of the other rabbis. They would say, well, rabbi such and such says this. Rabbi such and such actually offers this opinion. But Jesus, when he came, he spoke with power. He spoke with clarity. He spoke 
with authority, not as their scribes. Jesus spoke like the prophets of old and said, Thus saith the Lord, and people listened. As we gather together this morning, friends, it's good to remind ourselves that the Word of God is powerful, that the Word of God is living and active, that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is the only book that can pierce the heart, that can cause men to cry out, what must I do to be saved? When the Bible speaks, people listen. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. They may not accept it. They may reel against what the Bible says, but when the Bible speaks, people listen. The Word of God always provokes a response. And we need to keep that faith, that, that certainty in the Bible is the Word of God. Because it's the only sure foundation we have in the midst of a changing and difficult world. When we bring society a pale reflection of itself, when we offer society what they can find in the world anywhere else, why would people listen? The world does what it does much better. What we have to offer that's unique, what we have to offer that's sure and certain is God's Word. So that's the first thing we notice, this large crowd that comes to Jesus because he's teaching them the Word of God. Secondly, though, I want us to notice the way the farmer sows the seed. Verse 3, listen, behold, a sower, a farmer, went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured. Other seed fell on rocky ground, verse 5, uh, and verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. He scatters the seed, but he doesn't take much care with what he's doing, does he? As he scatters the seed, he, he, it just lands wherever it lands. Now, if you read the commentaries on this, what people will say is that I'm reading a, a kind of modern farming method back in uh, to the Bible times. And I accept, you know, they probably didn't have seed drilling machines in the Bible. But it doesn't take a genius to work out that if I scatter seed somewhere where there's no soil, then it's not going to grow. It doesn't take a genius to work out that if I'm not careful with where I'm planting my seed, then it's not going to work. Jesus is making a point here. As we're going to find out in a few moments' time, the seed stands for the Word of God. And Jesus is saying this farmer, wherever he goes, wherever he takes the Word of God, he scatters it. Wherever he goes on his daily life, he scatters the Word of God. We should share and sow the Bible liberally. We should scatter it as we go about our daily business. There was a, a book written a few years ago by Sinclair Ferguson, a, a Scottish theologian. It was called The Whole Christ. It was speaking about a, a controversy in the church in the, the 17th, 18th century called The Marrow, uh, The Marrow of Modern Divinity. And it sought to answer the question, well, who should the gospel be preached to? Some people in the church thought that the gospel should only be preached to those who were showing signs of conversion. It should only be preached to those who, in some senses, were getting their life together. And over and against that, the marrow of modern divinity said, no, the gospel should be preached to all, to everyone. And you see, friends, sometimes we can be tempted to wait until people are showing signs before we'll preach the gospel to them, before people are getting their lives together, before we'll share the gospel with them. But that's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? 
that we don't have our lives together, that we can't sort out the mess that we've created for ourselves, that we can't have our lives sorted out until we repent and are forgiven for our sin, until we turn back to God. We should be like the farmer here and share the gospel with anyone that we meet, scatter it as we go about our daily business, gossip it as we go around. As he sows then, some seed falls on the path, the birds come and eat it up. Some falls along, among the rock where it doesn't have any root, it doesn't have any depth, and as soon as the sun comes out, it's scorched. And some falls among the thorns which grow up and choke the plant, choke the seed that was grown. And some falls on good ground and produces a crop, 30, 60, or 100 fold. So that's the profligate farmer then. He sows his seed wherever he goes. Secondly then, we want to think about these unfruitful soils. Unfruitful soils. And we see that in verses 14 through 19. We've skipped over uh, a few verses in the text here. Now, they're not important to what we're saying this morning, but they're important uh, in the context. It's really, see, it sets the scene for this explanation of the parable that Jesus gives to his disciples. We see that beginning in verse 15, don't we? Jesus says to his disciples, the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. There's no time for that seed to germinate. There's no time for that seed to take root. There's no time for that seed to grow. It's just snatched away. As quickly as it goes in, it goes out. We can all probably think of people like that, can't we? People who, no matter how many times we share the gospel with them, people, no matter how many times we tell them about Jesus, it just doesn't seem to land. It just doesn't seem to wash on them. They don't seem to understand, and that's why. Because as soon as that word is sown, as soon as the gospel is preached, as soon as that seed is scattered, it's snatched away. Others hear the word, verse 16, and receive it with joy. They're excited by the gospel. They're excited by the word of God. They're excited by the good news of Jesus Christ. But they don't last. They have no depth. Verse 17, Jesus tells his disciples when they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They're weighing it up. And on balance, following Jesus just doesn't seem worth it. Following Jesus just doesn't seem worth giving up everything you'll have to give up, and so they fall away. And again, perhaps we can think of people like that in our own Christian journey, people who started out so well, people who were really on fire for the Lord, people who were so keen for the Lord, but now sadly are nowhere. Now sadly have renounced the faith. And what is it causes this? Well, Jesus here lists persecution and trouble. Perhaps they realize that being a Christian will put you at odds with the world when you have to speak out on ethical issues, when you have to, to stand against same-sex marriage and abortion. Perhaps they realize that following Jesus will cost them in their personal lives, the things that they enjoy, the things that they want to do. In their sinful nature, they'll have to give up and sacrifice to Christ. And so in the final calculations, they decide that following Jesus really isn't worth it. It isn't worth the hassle. It isn't worth the things that we have to give up. And then finally, Jesus says, there are others. This other seed sown amongst thorns. They hear the word, but something happens. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness 
of wealth. The desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, in some senses, I think these are the saddest people of all. If we read Luke's account of the same parable, of the same teaching that Jesus Christ gave, Luke refers to these people as people who do not mature. They never grow in their Christian faith. They're saved and stuck Christians. Perhaps Christians who uh, a particular sin has a particular hold on. Perhaps those who are following after money. Perhaps those who are following after career and success. Those whose heart isn't following Jesus fully. And the word proves unfruitful. Doesn't grow. Doesn't mature. Doesn't produce a crop. But it's stuck. How we need to watch our own hearts, friends. These things are common to all of us. These traps and snares that Jesus lays out here are things that can catch us all. The deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for acceptance. And it can so easily choke the word. All of these then represent the unfruitful soils. They don't produce a harvest. They don't produce a a, a crop from what was sown. But then finally this morning, thirdly, we want to think about this fruitful harvest, this fruitful harvest. And we see that in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, what is it makes the difference? So we thought about these three unfruitful soils, and we come to then finally this fruitful soil. What is it that makes the difference? Well, it's the soil, isn't it? The seed that's sown is the same seed. Presumably, all of the climactic conditions are similar. The only difference in the parable that Jesus tells us here is where the seed lands. Some falls on good ground, whilst others fall in more difficult places. But the question for us this morning, I suppose, as we finish, is what kind of soil are we? What kind of fruit are we producing in our lives this morning? Are we producing good soil that's ready to hear the Word of God? Are we producing good soil that's ready to listen and produce a crop from what was sown? Or are we producing bad soil that isn't producing anything? How might we cultivate bad soil in our lives? How might we have bad soil in our lives, if you like? Well, we can produce it by having unconfessed, unrepented of sin. We might produce bad soil by failing to take time to listen to God and his word. But how can we produce good soil in our lives? How can we make sure that the seed finds good ground to land on? Well, we make time to listen to God in his word. We make time to speak to God in prayer. When we sin, we repent. We know that we have an advocate with the Father. We know that we have one who is seated at the right hand of God this morning who pleads our cause. When we sin, we repent. We enjoy times of fellowship with other believers, socially distanced in these days, of course. 
We use them to encourage us in our walk, to build us up in our most holy faith. We keep our eyes fixed on the eternity that awaits us in heaven. So what sort of harvest are you producing this morning? What sort of fruit are you producing in your life? A good harvest that's producing 30, 60, 100 what was sown? Or a stunted, weakened harvest that produces only thorns and thistles 